Episode 8 Special Edition, Capital Security and the D.C. Storming. There is a difference between a brick thrower throwing a rock through a, a building or harming somebody or pulling a gun and illegitimate protesters. If we don't start weeding these people out, hunting them down, and prosecuting them, then legitimate protests are, are going to be just done in this country. The truth will set you free. At least that's what I've been told. I said the truth will set you free. At least that's what I've been told. I've got misinformation on the left and right of me, and in the middle, a truth to behold. This is the Truth or Politics Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Robert. I've got a. Um, opportunity to be able to talk to someone who has had experience working with the uh, government in uh, various capacities of uh, law enforcement, whether it has been as a military police person, or it's also working in various aspects of Homeland Security. Uh, that, of course, is Darlene Price, who we've heard of, heard from once before, also the originator of Truth or Politics um, out of I guess we should say Eastern Kentucky. And uh, I'm going to um, get Darlene on the phone, and we are going to discuss uh, what we can about uh, what happened in uh, Washington. So hold on for that. My favorite word is the word. The word. Isn't it a beautiful word when you think of it? It just covers everything. The word. <laughs> I know words, I have the best words. Words matter a lot, and I got the point across. All right, guys, so it's Robert. I'm back, and I've got Darlene with me on the phone. And, um, and Darlene, I, I will confess to you, I think I told you that I had to come home for a repairman who was working on some things at my house. He's still upstairs. Uh, my dogs are going to be in and out, outside and inside. And uh, we will definitely hear some barking <laughs> during this. So, I, I'm familiar with that. I have four very large dogs myself. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. You, you've told me all about that. As a matter of fact, guys, I was trying to uh, reach Darlene yesterday. And then uh, tell me why I couldn't reach you yesterday, Darlene. What were you doing? <laughs> we were in the woods training uh, search and rescue dogs. Oh, man, that just sounds awesome. So... I, I've I've said a couple of things about you when I introduced you when you called in when we had the COVID nineteen uh, podcast and um, but tell us just briefly a little bit about your background I've you know I've read your book I'm, I've sent it to Bradley we were going to try to interview you in a couple of weeks and talk about your book and just you know almost do a slow burn because there's so much information you and I can go over. Um, but let's let's just do kind of a, a quick background on your military service, what you've done in the government, and then give people some perspective on your, you know, I'm not, not going to say prove your credentials, but it's proofs in the pudding when you talk about what you've done. So give, give us an idea of what you've done. 
Well, I uh, started out my career. I graduated from Eastern Kentucky University with a degree in criminal justice, uh, criminology, and uh, was an ROTC uh, person there. I had a full-ride ROTC scholarship, and from there I went into the military. <clears throat> I went up to the degree of captain. I was an officer in the U.S. Army Military Police Corps assigned to a criminal investigation division in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, which controlled other areas. From there, I be I went into private industry. Probably the worst job I ever had. <laughs> I was director of security. My my CID boss from the army actually got out, and he uh, became a general manager for a, what's called Rec Centers Incorporated in Arizona, which controls all of these, you know. Uh, very um, rich, rich uh, condos and and golf courses and Jack Nichols golf courses and stuff. So I became director director of security for just under two years for him, and hated that job. And then applied and went into. Back then, I became a special agent with the United States Customs Service, which back then was under Department of Treasury. So you had to be cross-trained um, as a treasury agent slash customs special agent. And when I say the word customs, people immediately think about the uniformed officers that, you know, dig through your luggage at the airport. But there's also the, the plainclothes investigators, which is what I was, a special agent. And uh, I was immediately, because there was not a lot of female special agents back then, um, put on numerous task forces. Um, I was on what's called Ernet Task Force. This was out in Southern California, Inland Empire, Inland Empire Regional Narcotics Task Force, uh, a couple, several task force. Um, HIDA Task Force was the last task force I was on, which stands for um, High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. We did all counter-smuggling narcotics undercover investigations, major investigations. We only worked pretty much what's called OSADEF case. OSADEF is a fancy government acronym that stands for uh, Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Forces. So um, uh, before I left Customs, one of those task forces I was on, I was actually running the operation. It was called Operation Right Rail. We seized 8,000 pounds of marijuana and 34 kilos of uncut cocaine and that translates into thousands of kilos of, of, of cocaine once they step on it and, and divide it up. Um, but th this was pure cocaine, 34 kilos, and plus 8,000 pounds of marijuana in a railroad tanker car. And that's where <clears throat> the beginning of the end of my career with the United States Customs happened because, and this is what the book is about. The book's called Bordergate, uh, the story the government doesn't want you to read. I, I wish I had not named it that because people think it's about illegal immigration and it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with uh, basically identifying and exposing corruption at very high levels in the United States Customs Service. And it wasn't just me. It was uh, we had a we had a U.S. attorney that was assigned to that case, not just to that case, to our whole task force. And I ended up, myself and several others, literally walked. We put our badges down, walked out the door, and resigned in protest because of what was going on. Um, basically what happened is we had five more of these tanker cars that were loaded full of 25 to 40 tons of narcotics. It would have been one of the biggest seizures ever. And because of corrupt managers in my and uh, in, in U.S. Customs Service, that that – those tinker cars, with five of them, were let go. 
Um, we were trained in the, what's called the Eddy Star System with the Union Pacific Railroad and BNSF Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroads. We're on a task force with them, the special agents there, working this. And um, somebody flipped the switch, basically, and, and that's that, that, that's minimizing it. It's a lot more than that. But I'm trying to Reader's Digest version this and allowed five tanker cars full of 25 to 40 tons of narcotics into this country unchecked. When my task force and I exposed this, we endured the worst retaliation, threats, intimidation that no police officer anywhere should ever have to endure because they, they simply refused to work for people that were worse than the people they were putting in jail. Um, I ended up, ended up becoming what's called a national security whistleblower. Um, I testified live testimony from the United States Congress, along with many of my other colleagues, um, in 2007. Well, the first time actually was in 2001, and then in 2007. One of the things we were testifying about also was, and through our investigation of these tanker cars and how they crossed the border unchecked and different people were compromised, um, we identified that these tanker cars could be a huge terrorist threat. Timothy McVeigh leveled, you know, the Oklahoma City bombing. He leveled a, an entire federal building, and there was 11 other buildings around there that were severely damaged. If anybody's ever had a chance to go to Oklahoma City and, and see that bombing site, you really need to go there. It's very haunting what happened there. He did that with, with less than a ton of ammonia nitrate in a, in a, in a box car, basically, or a box um, truck. Now imagine if you can put, you know, 30 tons of ammonia nitrate in a railroad tanker car and put it under pressure. What do you have? You have the world's biggest pipe bomb, you know, a similar to a, a nuclear holocaust. When I testified in front of the U.S. Congress in 2007, I did a little video show and showed where there was pictures of railroad tanker cars with the Capitol building in the background. Right after that, uh, if you go, you'll see signs all around D.C. I'm very familiar with D.C., um, where it says no tanker cars, no 18-wheelers. Right after my testimony, they passed the law <laughs> in D.C. That, that no railroad tanker cars or any of that could come, come near you know, um, the Capitol. And and I was told directly that that was because of my testimony because they saw. Wow. You know, S- somebody finally started listening to you. Yeah, but they protected themselves, and nothing Correct. else has happened. Correct. You know, in all these years since then, that seizure was done in '99, uh, I think it was 1999. Since then, there's only been one set of railroad tanker cars seized with narcotics in it, and it was not seized by United States Customs Service. It was seized by LAPD, downtown LAPD. So it made it into the country, packed full of dope. So there you go. I mean, you know, who's watching the border? Um, I came to the conclusion through our investigation, we had confidential sources giving us information, and that's how we got these seizures in the first place. But um, but we kind of came to the conclusion that the only reason terrorists terrorists have not used this yet is because the cartels ain't going to have it. You know, that's their main pipeline. And 
they're not going to allow the terrorists. The terrorists do feel the Colombian and Medellin and the, and the Cali cartels worse than they fear the government of the United States. <laughs> so that is, that is just bizarre. That that com- that completely makes sense to me. That that could be the situation. It's like, no, this is our route for doing these things. You guys, you guys don't get to have this. Wow. Yeah, because, wow. Yeah, because because of a terrorist. I think that they would fear more some of these cartels, the Mexican cartels, you know, um, sure. they, well, they, coming they would, after them. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't play by the rules like the United States government does when they hunt people down. They're not going to play by the rules. Um, these cartels are just going to hunt them and their families down, and that'll be it. Do you mess with? Would you mess with their um, with their stuff? So, um, sure. But anyways. That's kind of the essence of my career. When I left customs, um, I, I also have a law degree, so one of the things that I started doing is um, I became an expert witness slash um, investigator for defense attorneys here in Kentucky. I work for several of them on uh, murder cases, uh, want endangerment cases, those type of thing, and um, have kind of developed a pretty good reputation of exposing kind of corruption and bad cops right here in Kentucky digging up um, through the case files, you know, more than you would think. And and it's disheartening to know this. And I just want to say up front, look, I, I still believe most cops are honest. I still support the blue. Nobody has more uh, respect for the badge than I do. If it wasn't for good cops, which I still believe most of them are, um, if it wasn't for good cops, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be on this phone. I would be dead. Uh, I, I had situations, you know, out in California when I was a special agent where um, very dangerous situations where if it wasn't for more experience, really good cops saving my butt and, and pulling me out of situations, and uh, I wouldn't be here right now. And when we did, you know, when we did uh, testify, and let me jump back to, to the case, you know, the case with the tanker cars, we ended up suing U.S. Customs about the, that case, and it was one of the few whistleblower retaliation cases. Less than two percent ever make it in the federal court, and we did, and that's what's in the book. It, it became a landmark case because it was the first case ever in history where a sitting judge testified against the federal government. In the five years it took to get this case to trial, um, our AUSA, Assistant United States Attorney on our task force, she became a judge. She witnessed what happened in that case. She witnessed, you know, the, the uh, some of the corruption that went on with this tanker car case. She, she was very angry about it, and she testified in that case. So. Um, but jumping back forward again, since then, what I do now is I work for different defense attorneys in Kentucky, and I pick apart bad cops cases. And unfortunately, they're out there. Um, cops, for some reason, there are too many of them. I think that, and sometimes it's it's, it's needless. They will <laughs> they will test a lie. There's a word we use called test a lie. Well, they'll go in front of a grand jury and embellish. A case when, when they don't even need to, they, you know, the case is good enough, and you catch them lying in front of in front of the grand jury, and that's one of the biggest ways to destroy a case, a criminal case, because once once a cop has gone in front of a grand jury and committed perjury and or you know embellished information or or even through the course of their investigation, we found in one case uh, here in Kentucky where they manufactured evidence and got caught doing it. 
then the jury's not going to believe anything else in that case, you know, and we've got our defendants off repeatedly. Um, again, want to say, support the badge. Most cops are not like this, and, and several of these cops have been fired over these things, but um, but, but, but it exists, and, that, and that's what I do now. Um, I work as an investigator slash, uh, <laughs> slash uh, expert witness. Gotcha. So, yeah, um, and, you know, um, um, luckily, as you were talking there, I, I remembered that I have a mute on my microphone, so my dog was going through a, a nutty um, tirade of barking. So we, we got to miss <laughs> most of that, but at some point I think he's still going to want to go back outside. So we still may have to hear some things, but I promise I listened to everything you said. And then I, and I'd read your book cover to cover and, uh, and I'd, I'd shared with you. And I think I shared this uh, last night that, you know, I, I have, uh, one of my older brothers is a retired police detective. And, um, I also had a good friend of mine, um, who also has retired from, uh, law enforcement and and, 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 and my brother, my brother is a retired uh, Kentucky State Police detective. Mm-hmm. So right sure. here, he, he retired right from the county here. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have nothing but respect for those guys. I, I actually got there right along with my brother a couple times and uh, see what he did. I realized there's no way I wanted that job. And I was more, <laughs> more than happy to have people, you know, throw heavy objects far as a, a field event track coach. So that, that was I was OK with that. But so let's let's and thank you for all that information. And I do want to even go into more details at some point when we talk about um, some of the cases that you did. And I mean, your, your book just reads so, so great. Um, I, I will say as an aside that it looks like I may be starting another uh, podcast that's sort of like a book club podcast. And uh, and honestly, I think we'd love to probably cover your book. And then we can talk about it in detail and I can get you on that one and we can have a whole nother audience that would probably be involved with uh, listening to all this information. But let's, let's talk a little bit about what happened with, uh, DC and actually Darlene, I'm going to make my dog be quiet. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. Okay. Okay. Got my headphones back on. Yeah. It's mailman time. So <laughs> that's too funny. Oh, good God. Uh, we have we have a house that's about a hundred years old and we've got these big French doors and he has put his paw through one of the windows on that. Now I don't even think it was for the mailman. Someone had told me someone else was trying to knock on our door and wouldn't leave as he was barking and jumping at him. And I, I have joked with you at one point that uh and, and we understood that it's gonna be you're gonna need to train me how to train my dog one of these days. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I understand all <laughs> that. Yeah. As, as a coach, I know how, how it should actually be, but so let's, let's get to what, what happened at the Capitol yesterday. And I guess my, and, and I, I picked the brains of these other law enforcement people. And I haven't read the article. My brother sent me just a little while ago about what potentially might've gone wrong. Somebody's assessment of what happened there in the Capitol. Um, I've seen some images and some video of one soul, um, I don't know if he's security policeman, whatever he was, who was inside the Capitol trying to hold back essentially a group of over a hundred people walking up a stairwell towards him. And wow. I don't know if you've been able to see this one yet, but he is holding back some people and he has one person who continues to provoke and approach him. 
and you can see the uh, law enforcement person trying to uh, dissuade him and, and not engaging with any force, but also taking out his uh, baton that he had. And, and, and then I think, and he just basically has to keep giving ground to these people. From what I could tell, there's no way this one person was, was going to be able to engage with over a hundred people um, who were, who were just charging up the stairwell. So let's go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so let's, let's back this whole thing up for a second. And, and, and I think the, the central message we have, I think is still what you were talking about there is that we can, we can learn from all of this, that some people out there, we don't want to know about how vulnerable our, um, our, U S capital is now can see just how vulnerable it is that being potentially terrorists or other people and how they could easily overrun and take over that type of uh, situation. And, and, but what do we think was done for the sake of preparation in Washington, DC, when they had had advance notice that this, um, group of demonstrators initially, um, eventually protesters. And then after that, um, you know, people who engaged in violence, but what do we think was the preparation that DC would have had in, in the various levels, at least in your estimation of what you think they might've done? I, well, I, I watched, let me just say this first off, um, because I want to make sure people understand where I'm coming from. I, I am very much for peaceful protest. I, I've been on both sides of this kind of thing. Um, when the things happened with Border Gate out in our, you know, out in California, we had numerous federal agents and cops come to our defense and actually police officers protesting the Office of United States Customs Service in Rack Riverside, California with us. So we had cops as being protesting, other cops, bad cops, okay? So I've been on both sides of this. Also, I was one of the 300 uh, federal agents that was sent into law, operation, what's called Operation Los Angeles. Back in the 90s with the L.A. riots, um, after Rodney King verdict came out, they sent, in th- they sent in 300 federal agents. I was one of those because of my military background and training. So I've been in riots, and, you know, as a cop facing off with rioters, and I've also been a protester. So I see both sides of this, but I just want to say this. I am for peaceful protest. I've done it numerous times. Um, you know, we protested, you know, whistleblowers have organized protests before, um, even in Washington, D.C. And I got to say, there's a big difference between a a person who's there for all the right reasons and who was protesting and exercising their rights of freedom of speech, you know, I, I, I absolutely condone that. I do not condone anyone who then resorts to violence. The minute you pick up a brick, the minute you break something or hurt someone, you are no longer a protester. You are a criminal, and you should be processed for the fullest extent of the law. And that's both sides of this. What happened this summer in some of these cities I watched, you know, fellow police officers um, really, really get backed up against the wall, and some horrible things happen. Um, and and my heart goes out to the peaceful protesters that were there for some legitimate reasons. Because you know, uh, most cops, I still want to believe this, are good cops, but there's some bad ones out there, and, and attention needs to be brought to that. 
And and a, a way to do that is through peaceful protest. But again, the minute you violate a law, you hurt someone, you 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 break glass, you hurt a business. I watched these business owners this summer. You know, a lot of them that were supporting the protesters. Um, there's a big difference between a goon and a protester. You know, and the same for what happened in, in D.C. last night. There were peaceful protesters there. I'm all for that. Um, you know, I may not agree with your point. Whether I agree with your point or not, you have a right to peacefully protest. The minute you resort to any kind of violence, bullying, that type of thing, you're not a protester anymore. You're a criminal. And, you know, what should happen in, in both situations, in any situation like that, I don't care if it's the left or the right politically, um, they need to track these people down and they need to prosecute them. Because, you know, I, I know what it feels like to be a police officer, to, to be on the other side of that, to have someone threaten you, to be um, to be outnumbered, to be outgunned. Um, that That's not fun, people, I'm telling you. And, and when I see people or cops up there squaring off like that, like that guy, I watched that video that you were talking about. When I see someone, you know, someone outgunned, outmanned, you have no idea how fearful that is and how, you know, what do I do if I pull my gun, you know, um, you know, most of these cops don't want to kill somebody. They don't, they they just, they just, they don't, they don't want to be in that situation. And they're, they're put in that situation. Now, I found it highly disturbing that our capital had that lack of security. And let's jump back to the summertime. When, when you know, Black Lives Matter and some of the other groups were protesting in Washington, D.C. this summer, I saw holes, and I'm not going to identify the holes. I saw way too close. Um, back then, I, I talked about it on, on one of my shows. I'm like, man, this is not good. You know, I, they, they should have had way more security. Those people, even in the summertime, should have been backed way off. They, they got way too close to certain locations around the Capitol. Um, they got way too close. Um, things could have gone way worse last summer. You know, they were bad enough, but they could have gotten worse. And to not learn from that, to not know what happened last summer in and around the Capitol, and then not take that. And, and a lot of people saw, well, there was plenty of police, you know, last summer. And, and I know that's one of the points being raised. There were way more cops, way more this and that. Okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But someone who has been to the Capitol many times and who knows what the security is there and knows what it should be and who has some counterterrorism training, I looked at what happened last summer and I just shake my head that no one learned any lessons. And, in fact, the security was less between last summer, and that's a fact. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting into a political argument here. If you look at the security and the level of security around the Capitol last summer, compared to what I saw from video, and, and, and you know, I watched a dozen different videos. I stayed up half the night last night watching videos of this, looking at it from a different standpoint, not looking at it from a politics standpoint, not the left, not the right, but from a sheer counterterrorism, you know, security type, brain looking at this and I couldn't believe what I was seeing I just I couldn't believe that they didn't learn from last summer the potential here and 
they knew up to two or three days ago when, when these people started coming into D.C., there's a lot of intelligence service that monitors hotels, that monitors uh, travel, that monitors. They know what's coming, okay? They know, and they should be sharing that information, and shame on them if they did not. They knew this was coming. They had to have known. I, I know how these folks, you know, I know how the FBI, different intelligence services, how they operate. I've been on task forces with them, and I know how they collect intelligence, and they know ahead of time who's in what hotel, how many, what the scoop is. You know, they monitor the flights coming in. You know, God help us if they don't. You know, they should be, and, and I know they do. And, and the fact that they had this intelligence, somebody had this intelligence. I can guarantee you that someone had this intelligence, and that still resulted in the lack of security around the Capitol. I, I find that disturbing as all get out. If somebody like another Bin Laden is watching this, not just what happened last night and yesterday, but if they watched what happened last summer. Someone with a devious mind can figure things out and then watch what happened last night and yesterday. This is not good. This puts all of us at risk. It definitely, maybe not all of us, but this definitely puts, you know, our capital and everyone who lives around there. And I have friends who live there. Okay. I have, you know, I still have contacts there and, you know, and, and contacts in law enforcement and friends in law enforcement who live there. This puts them at risk. And anyone who's ever had a son or a daughter in the military or in law enforcement, I mean, I look at this also from the standpoint of being a mother. You know, my son's a veteran, you know, and and I, I just – it's hard for me not to see young police officers in those situations and not put – you know, my the parent comes over me, and I'm thinking, man, that's somebody's kid there. That's somebody's child standing there with just a baton up against, you know, 100 people. That, that, that's not a good thing. If that's your kid in that uniform standing up against those people, you know, I, I see that a little bit differently than a lot of people do. And and I know that fear because I've been in it, and it's it's not good. I, I, yeah, let me, let me interject just for half a second for at least in, in, in my, my case – um, you know, there, I, I was talked about this last night with Bradley, but just as someone who is in Louisville, Kentucky, and is here with all of the, the heart of the Breonna Taylor protests and wow. other things that were going on and, and I'm fairly close to downtown. And so when, when the protesters were blocked off from going downtown, they went ahead and came down kind of the main thoroughfare street that's near my house. I watched that live. We, we, yeah. we, we broadcast that live. Go ahead. Correct, correct. Yeah, so I was uh, just under a mile from where those particular protests were going that came outside of that. And I knew that area well. I drove down it for 10, 15 years. I used to run down it. And so I knew exactly where everybody was and, and, and what I saw. And, you know, I, I experienced what I could see there and, and knowing that it was my hometown, my street, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I could see the, the situation being very peaceful until a group of people came up from the back and actually pushed the line of people who were right there next to the police 
and started shoving them into the police. So the people yeah. who were holding the line weren't actually trying to engage at all. And there was this group that came up and, and made that happen. And uh, sorry with Cooper barking here in the background. But, um, you know, so that, that was very discouraging to see that it was all peaceful. And then, and then it just became a publicity stunt after that to where yeah. now, now they got engaged. Now they had to have 11 people put in handcuffs. And then, the, then they just started running around and breaking windows where up to that point, it was a completely peaceful group that was doing what they should have done. And, and I think on a very small scale, that's the same thing that happened on this larger scale that just happened. And, exactly. and then, yeah. And then just as a person who was also, um, on the other side of all this, when we were at a, the only sporting event that was held here in town was our local soccer team who was able to do some really good physical distancing during their games. And they did all kinds of tributes and, and, and protest support. And, but there was a group of protesters outside of the, the stadium. And after the game was over, they blocked all of the exits. So we could not leave. And here I am with my, you know, hundred pound wife and my 90 pound mother-in-law as we're trying to exit this place. And we're having those clear water bottles with urine and, and bleach thrown at us. And, right. you know, and there was nothing, you know, if, if they had paid attention to what was going on inside, they would have seen one of the most positive and affirming, you know, types of scenes they probably could have ever seen. You had white and black players um, who were taking the knee during the national anthem and they had moments of silence. And I mean, there couldn't have been more support overall through that whole entire thing. Yet they still wanted to provoke, scream, yell, cuss, throw things at law enforcement. And, and that's why we had things that were lodged near us because we just happened to be next to some law enforcement. So, and, and honestly, I wasn't afraid for myself, but I was like, what can I do to protect the people that I love who are near me? And, right. and, and then I did, I really felt for those law enforcement guys because they were being completely professional. They weren't running out there to engage and to try to confront these people. And it was a small group of protesters that probably could have been handled. But at the same time, it was very tense. So now we fast forward to all these things that are going on in D.C. And, and the, this, you know, the, the potential lack of preparation by the, the people that were there to protect the Capitol. And you said you watched a lot of videos. How, how do you remember seeing or do you when the group started moving towards getting into the Capitol and climbing the walls and stairs and, and all those types of things right there where they would be doing, you know, the inauguration ceremony. Um, where, where did that all take place? Cause I missed all of that. I was still working. I started seeing things on Facebook. The people said, what's happening is just disgusting. They can't believe it's happening. Um, internet seemed to be almost shut down. I guess the internet was just flooded. I couldn't get any sort of programming to know what was happening. So I really honestly haven't seen a whole lot of what happened other than just these couple videos. And, and then last night I watched the uh, Senate get back together and start their, their hearing um, to talk about certifying the votes. So wh what do you remember of all that, darling? Well, I first started watching, I had a live feed from, uh, I think it was NBC and it was two young guys filming 
and, and maybe a third one, but two young guys for sure from NBC. They were off at a distance, but it had a really good telephoto lens watching all of this. And I, I became concerned for those guys because some of the protesters, again, it, it was just like this summer. You you had a mix of people who re- really felt that they were there trying to be peaceful, trying to just have their grievances you know, heard. There's that group. But then there, there's again, you know, a, a group that are, are there for all the wrong reasons. You know, they, I don't know what their deal is, but they're just criminals. And they started putting those camera guys in danger. And those camera guys, and I've got that. I had that live feed on on, on my Facebook page for a while. And then they took off, and, but the camera was still rolling. They they had their camera, I think, down almost by their ankles, and they took off running. And and this was CBS. CBSnews.com, and I don't know if you can go back and still watch that. And so they ran to their car, and you could hear these guys talking to their bosses. What do we do? What do we do? And these young guys, and again, it, it, I worried for them. I, I always, you know, I got a young daughter too who's in law school, and you know, I, I always put, and I've got grandkids, and it's like, man, that's somebody's son on that thing, and you could hear in that boy's voice the media, and also now. Now being the media, and I, I kind of left this out, you know, we run Truth or Politics here in McCrary County and, and different counties, and we have a, a, you know, podcast. We have a TV show. Actually, we're on cable TV, too. And being a, you know, a seasoned journalist now for 10 years, our show's been on for 10 years, I know what that feels like. I, as a journalist, I have been threatened um, by some nuts here in the county. You know, one of them even said, your two minutes are up, and they tried to stick the cops on me. It was all, that's a whole other story. That's a whole other book I'm writing. <laughs> but but I, these young guys, I just felt so sorry for them. I felt like, man, that's somebody's kid who's scared to death, who's simply as a journalist trying to do their job and show what's going on. Not offering – at no time were these boys offering their opinion. They were simply filming. And right. CBS right. was live. Okay. Yeah, and I think got- that's. I think that's what I heard was that um, media people were being targeted. Um, right, because, they were. because of the whole, you know, fake media, and you guys are the you're the really the problem, and 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 that's why, and you know, they just kind of went after them, and so I yeah. that's that's definitely one of the reports that I'd heard too. So what well, what do you and, think and this, though? Go ahead. And this was. You don't have to think it. Anybody watching this, and I was watching it live, and in fact, we put it on our, our, our Truth or Politics Facebook page live. Right. It was live streaming. Right. And you could hear these guys. You could hear them cussing the, the media, threatening these poor guys, and, mm. and, and I just felt sorry for them. So that ended, and then I immediately picked up another feed um, from CBSnews.com, a live feed that was off at a distance, and it looked like they were elevated. So... You could tell that, and then they would go back and forth. So CBS also had somebody, and kudos for this. This was good journalism, by the way, I thought, because they're not offering an opinion, these cameramen, as they're filming. They're just filming a blow-by-blow, real-time, what was going on outside and inside the Capitol. And, you know, I, I thought it was, you know, that took a lot of bravery to, 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 to stay and film. Because I've been in these situations where there's gunfire, guns are being drawn, um, your life is in, in, threatened, and these guys stood their ground. Was, well, the first guys didn't, but I think it was the first guys then were also backed up and re, 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 you know, refilmed. I, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it was the same guys. It may mm-hmm. not have been. It may have been a separate group. 
But the guys on the inside filming this, you know, they could have run. They they could they could have shut their camera off and and covered, ducked and covered. And, and most people, and, and not that I'm saying that that would be bad if they did that, but that took a lot of guts to film what they filmed. Yeah, and yeah, see, right agree. in the mix because these cameramen, you got to understand. And again, I see this again from from an insider because I've been in places with my cameramen and stuff. You know, I, I've been in situations where. You know, oh man, this is getting dicey. This is not good. And you're like, you know, do we stay? Do we go? And and that takes a lot of courage to stand your ground and and film. Sure. And that's what these guys did. And um, kudos to these guys for catching this on film. Um, and but anyways, back to what we were seeing. Um, I just that should have never happened. I'm I'm amazed that. They got that close. If you will look, you know, like at the inauguration and stuff, certain people are cleared. They clear people. Like, here's a good example of the difference. During inaugurations, like back back with an Obama, you know, when Obama, there was a lot of threats. I, I still have very good friends with Secret Service. He was probably one of the most threatened presidents ever before the inauguration. They had, you know, all kinds of threats. What they did is they clear people to come into an, what's called an inner circle, okay, you know, a little bit closer. Those people are cleared ahead of time. That's why, you'll, you know, if you watch the inauguration, you'll say, well, there's people up there. There's all kinds of people there. Yeah, well, those people are cleared ahead of time. This is planned ahead of time. Then you have a whole other set of security and just the regular crowd that you don't know who's in that crowd, right, for the most part, they're separate, and they're way back. They're way back. I mean, go back and look at some of the inaugurations, how the security was handled, and then look at what happened this summer, and then look what happened yesterday. Big difference. Great big difference. And I, I don't know who's responsible for this, you know, the lack of security, and allowing this to happen, but, um, you know, there's some folks, you know, intelligence-wise, investigative-wise, the FBI, um, you know, they need to get to work and figure this out, and this does not need to happen again. That's for sure, and, and it's just shocking to me that that it happened. I just, I, I, went, I never dreamed in a million years, because, I, you know, I, I testified right in those buildings. I've been in those buildings. I've been in front of the media in those buildings, and... The security um, for this event should have been up in a big way, in a big way, because the intelligence they had of some of the people coming in there. Yeah, I, I think I think many of the the groups, I mean, there were specific groups that you could identify by their clothing, um, by their you know various insignias that they had on their jackets, clothing, hats, whatever it was, and I don't mean just the the mega hats. Um, some of these other groups and, you know, it's, it's yet to be completely determined, but it seems like there is already, you know, a, a counter conspiracy theory, uh, going, going through all this, maybe even a, just, just conspiracy theory, but this guy who was filmed, who had the Viking horns and was walking around, um, what it, it appears to be is people are saying that he is actually a Black Lives Matter supporter, and and this is why the people who stormed the Capitol were actually Antifa or Black Lives Matter people. They weren't actually 
um, make America great again people because this guy was seen at a Black Lives Matter event. And they showed us photographs. He could also be a nut. Well, yeah. well no, that's, that's, that's my point. Yeah, my, my point is I'm just setting it up. My, my yeah. point is they're, they're taking these isolated photographs with no explanation and then using these sweeping generalizations of stories of he's there, so he's got to be this. Well, we know that's not good investigation. I mean, it, that, there's, there's no right. truth in fact to all this when in reality – you look at who these guys are. There is another story coming out. It's like, well, they're part of this group. I don't know what they're called. Um, Nordic Odin, Odin sons or Odin soldiers. And, and they are a well-known white supremacist group. And so, and this guy has been part of them. So he was there protesting the people who were there for Black Lives Matter. And that's why he was shown in that scene. And he more than likely was there in the Capitol and was, I'm not saying it was an act of white supremacy. I'm just saying he was there, you know, to, to destroy and break into the Capitol and wreak havoc. And, and he's probably one of the most prominent people because he sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I think, you know, I, I think we're going to get to a point here where we're going to start wrapping things up a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I agree 100% with you that the, the bigger picture about all of this is, you know, we, we have to have some sort of learning come from this and prevent the, you know, two levels. Prevent being able to infiltrate and, and break through the lines of the, the security that protected the Capitol and all of the, the lawmakers and, and those types of things. And, and then also, you know, the other line really is just, you know, what, what is the environment that caused the pressure cooker to be turned up? And right. when you have this environment with, you know, a sitting president who is not accepting that he has lost an election and, and continues to say so many things about why the election is fraudulent, when you had still all the representations of the United States, um, you know, three-headed freedom, let's say, of the courts and the lawmakers. And, you know, not even considering being able to listen to their their court cases. Now, the the amazing thing, though, is even though they say that they couldn't get heard in these courts, what it appears, though, is that the... Um, Election officials did address nearly every single um, point that was brought up by the, the Trump team of various fraud, whether it's voters who were dead or voters from out of state or the, the machines that um, tallied the votes incorrectly. I mean, they've addressed well, and, and all of these that, things. But the courts addressed this too. Um, that, that's what in, I mean. Arizona, in pre yeah, in, in preparation a, for a the example. courts. A lot of these courts... When Trump's lawyers went into the courts, you know, you got to understand how the court system works, okay? Um, well, the first things before you can have a case actually be heard, you have to have evidence. Correct. You know, and a lot of these judges were pretty conservative judges. These were not liberal judges, okay? Right. Most of, well, most of them were not, you know? Um, and when they said, what is your evidence? You know, and there's a lot of right. procedures that go involved with that. They had none, not one. 
not one time, and each and every time, these conservative judges is like tossed their case. The yeah. case never got passed what's called motions in limine, motions for summary judgment. Um, these are all terms, legal terms. You can't just walk into court and say, I don't like a verdict, okay, and I want this overturned. Yeah. Okay? Or, or yeah. I don't like an ele- I don't like there's fraud here, and I, I, want, I want a case. I want to go in front of a jury and show my case. Well, a judge is going to say, okay, what is your probable cause? What is your evidence? You have to have an evidence hearing. And each and every time, and every one of these court cases, again, let me reiterate, with conservative judges, many of these judges are, are very conservative. They had none. They could not present any evidence. So the judge did what any you know good judge would do, and you got to toss the case out. You, you can't just get a jury and have a case just because you don't like something. You have to have this thing called evidence. And, you know, case after case in Arizona, in Georgia, um, in Pennsylvania, the Trump lawyers – now, if you want to blame somebody, blame the Trump lawyers. If there's evidence there, they either didn't find it, didn't investigate it correctly, or for whatever reason, or it wasn't there. Either right. it Either the evidence doesn't – here are your answers to this. Either there was no evidence because there was no fraud, or there was evidence, and the lawyers and the investigators botched it, in which case a judge has no choice anyway. I, I can't walk into a, any courtroom in the state of Kentucky or federal court. We can't walk in, the, to, in front of any judge and say, you know, here we, wanna, we, wanna, we want a jury trial because of whatever – and not have evidence. You have to have evidence. Right. And each and every time the Trump lawyers presented no evidence and they got tossed. Right. So, right. And, and, um, and so I think what that does is that allows the and I think everything you're saying, I love the um, the fairness of how you're saying this. You're sticking within the confines of what would actually truly constitute, you know, being able to bring something to the courts. And so I really appreciate, and I, I, I forgot about your law degree. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. It's like, cause I, I keep saying to myself, I gotta get an attorney on here so I can ask them some questions that I don't have the, you know, daggone answers to. So anyway, um, yeah, I think what it does and, and what I tried to do in the beginning of, of the podcast, um, in our first couple episodes, and we haven't really had a great flow for how we're doing it. But it's to talk about, you know, this this way that you present arguments and, and the fallacies that are used and, and the tactics and strategies that are used when you have a weak argument or you want to make your argument stronger, you you depend on things that really aren't logical and they're just simply emotional and they, they play on, you know, people's weaknesses of understanding of things. And and I think that is essentially what um, has had to happen is when they don't have all this evidence, they just go back onto television and they get sound bites and they continue to scream fraud, 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 fraud. And they say they have evidence everywhere and, and they have all these affidavits. But when it really comes to the courts, they aren't doing it. And, and, well, and, you know, and, and I think another example, you know, Arizona, let me go back to Arizona again on, on this case. Um, when the votes... People, people need to understand facts here, okay? I, I deal in evidence and facts every day. And, and, and I'm, I'm going with Arizona right now because it's the quickest and the most efficient way to, to, to get facts out. 
Arizona, when they were doing the vote count, okay, they had machines, okay, well, there was accusations about the machines. Arizona is probably one of the most transparent uh, elections ever this past November, okay? They had more media in there counting, watching the vote than they had counting the vote, you know, and I'm not saying that's good, bad, or indifferent, but it was pretty transparent. Not only did they have the machines, but then... You know, there was a Republican governor, okay? Then they audited the machines with a hand count. Right. And here is a fact, folks, that you need to understand. The hand count matched the machine vote for vote. I know. There was not one single thing different. Right. Now, let me repeat that because— That's that's highly unusual. uh, Yeah, that's highly unusual. So with with cameras rolling, and they had cameras from the left and the right and the middle, every every camera in there watching this. Not only that, the uh, Secretary of State came out and did a press conference. Go back and you can pull this press conference up, you know, and said, look, we keep getting calls that there's fraud. I need evidence. He says the words, we need evidence. If you have evidence, he's outside, right, of one of the, you know, and there's a big tent over there. He says, I have people right over there, investigators. We need you to come forward with this evidence. Okay. He was later interviewed the next day, and he was asked specifically about that. You know, you came out and did a press conference. Who came forward? He goes, I had no one come forward. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just know, ridiculous. So it just, there was no evidence. And if there is evidence, you have what's called trial transcripts. Here's what I challenge somebody to do. Somebody's out there listening that says, oh, that darling prize, she's some crazy liberal or whatever, which, by the way, I'm not. Okay, no, I'm pretty neither con- of us are. <laughs> That's the I, I, thing. I'm pretty conservative, but, but here's the thing. Go pull the trial transcripts. All these, you know, like in Arizona courts, when Trump's lawyers went in with screaming fraud and everything, you can pull these transcripts up. Right. You can get copies of them. Read them. Read what the evidence was when they went in and filed these things. Um, read the, the complaints. Okay, well, to get into a courtroom, you have to file what's called a complaint. Okay, that's where you kind of lay out your story. Here's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Here's my evidence. Okay, pull these complaints up and read them. The complaint themselves don't have any evidence. The purpose of the complaint is to tell the judge, look, this is why we should get to have a trial. This is why we sh- we need a hearing at least is because here's my evidence. And you lay that out, maybe not all your evidence, but you lay that out in what's called a complaint. When you pull these complaints up, you know, um, these lawyers, I-, I would never hire them because <laughs> these complaints yeah. – There's no evidence in them. It it was just a a political maneuvering. Um, There's just no evidence there. No judge in their right mind, I don't care how conservative you are, would allow this type of complaint to move forward. And and, and I I say kudos to conservative judges because, you know, they are – these judges, a lot of them were conservative, and, you know, they did the right thing. You know, every once in a while, the, the wheels of justice actually do work, mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and this is one of these times when it worked. So, um, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so really, it makes it makes you question, and we don't have an answer to it, but we've seen evidence on TV now. But it makes you question: What is the end game 
of Donald Trump's group when they, you know, they're almost grasping at straws with, you know, flimsy. Um, there isn't even evidence. So you can't even call it flimsy, but with flimsy excuses for evidence. And, and is, is the end game then what happened at the Capitol? Is that what he was pushing for? I don't think so. I think it was more just don't blemish the brand of Donald Trump and, and I'm never wrong. And it's all the bad people who are against me and, you know, poor me. Um, you know, I still love America, blah, blah, blah. I I mean, I, I think that is potentially his, potentially his end game on this. Um, this does nothing. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to put a little bit different spin on it. I'm going to say, so what? Here's what it comes down to, to me from a strict law, law enforcement, law and order, um, standpoint. It is irrelevant. Let's, let's talk about last summer too some of the extreme left and some of the criminals that, that, that did the things they did last summer in some of these cities, okay, um, just burning businesses to the ground or whatever. And then what happened yesterday? It's irrelevant. The politics, to me, are irrelevant. What should happen now and what should have happened last summer is law enforcement, intelligence services need to hunt these people down. You need to weed out who the criminals are Mm -hmm. from the protesters, because Mm -hmm. I believe in the right to protest. Here's what's happening in the United States today. People who have legitimate protests and legitimate gripes, their protests are being hijacked by criminals. Let me repeat that. Legitimate protests, which I believe in, are being hijacked by criminals. What law enforcement now needs to do and both parties, political parties, because both political parties are being harmed by this. If you guys got half a brain, what you need to do is you need to say it does not matter what the end game is. We need to hunt these. You need to hunt these people down, and you need to prosecute them. There is a difference between a brick thrower throwing a rock through a, a building or harming somebody or pulling a gun and illegitimate protesters. If we don't start weeding these people out, hunting them down, and prosecuting them, then legitimate protests are, are going to be just done in this country. Because every time there's a crowd doing a legitimate protest on the left, on the right, for whatever reason, some bunch of morons, criminals, are going to cease an opportunity to cause harm. Cease an opportunity. And some of these people are just mental cases. Some of these people are just evil, uh, mental cases. They can, oh, here's a protest. Well, it's peaceful now. Wait till I get there. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, opportunist. It, opportunist, perfect word, opportunist. Yeah. If, if yeah, law definitely. enforcement can't, if law enforcement can't, cannot successfully hunt these people down and prosecute them for their crimes, because these are crimes they're committing, and separate, start separating them out from peaceful protests, then the United States that we know where peaceful protest, you know, is, should be appreciated, that's done. We'll never have any more peaceful protest in the United States because every time there is one, for legitimate reasons, um, these opportunists, these criminals are going to hijack the protest. And the only resolution to that is... Forget about the politics for a minute. If this is a criminal, 
hijacking a protest, they need to go to jail. Do not collect, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200. <laughs> Right. That's what needs right. to happen, exactly. and that needs to happen now. It needed to happen this past summer, and a lot of it didn't. Um, and, and, and politics got involved there. It needs to happen every you know every face that got shown hurting someone, um, destroying someone. That's a different person than the peaceful protesters that were there. And there was plenty of peaceful protesters that really believe in, in Donald Trump, and re- they really believe that the election was hijacked. And we can argue over why they believe that, okay? But that's a different human being, someone there that's not armed, who's singing, you know, and and holding up the American flag. I I got no problem with those people. I do have a problem with somebody, you know, a bunch of people putting a cop in a position like on that video, you know, him and a baton up against 20 people. That ain't good. That's dangerous. It's dangerous. And there's a difference between the dangerous people and the non-dangerous people. Law enforcement needs to use facial recognition, use intelligence work, and we have the ability to do that. They absolutely have the ability to do that. They need to hunt these people down and start prosecuting them to the fullest extent of the law. Until that happens, peaceful protests from now on in the United States is at risk. Yeah, I I would agree with you 100%. And I think that's really good um, information for us to, to wrap up on. You know, and I, I think the the terminology, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's the right to assemble peacefully. There you go. Right, or peace, peacefully assemble, and 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 that's there. There's where the right is. It's it's not the right to go out there and intimidate and force conflict um, just because you want your you know your face on Facebook live or whatever else it is. Exactly. And, and, you know, and, and also to, in, in these cases for people who are little legitimately just sick inside who want this conflict and, and, and thrive off of, um, fighting for no other reason than fighting. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there's just, there's a sickness to it all. And, and it, and it makes people who watch it feel sick and feel very concerned. And, uh, well, Darlene, my gosh, thank you so much for, um, you know, calling me back. Um, coming out of the woods <laughs> with your with your animals, dealing dealing with my my urban animals here who I can't control and are, are barking in the background who now are staring at me through the the window like why am I such a bad owner? But um, so we we're going to talk again. Um, I, I will let you know when uh, this releases. I'm going to do my darndest to try to get this out uh, tonight if I can because I think we really need to get this out to people. And, um, again, thank you so much for doing all this. I know this won't be the only time that we talk. And once again, thank you for being the person who started truth or politics and taking my phone call and saying, yeah, you can do a truth or politics podcast. That's what I want. So, uh, I, I owe that to you and letting me um, keep that title. And uh, I'm really glad that we were collaborating and uh, I look forward to doing more of that and expanding uh, with your your audience and hopefully having some folks uh, listen to the podcast through through you guys and uh, and then we'll just you know keep on going from from there all righty no all right I, I, I appreciate being on and we appreciate our truth of politics over here in Eastern Kentucky we appreciate you guys taking the uh, baton and running with it so we hope that more and more truth of politics start popping up Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to stop Cooper from destroying my door (laughs) and, 
and I'm going to let you go. So that's awesome, darling. Thank you so much. I did actually record all of this, so that's good to know. And uh, I will talk to you later, and I'll let you know when I let when I send it okay, out. Okay, great. Sounds good. Awesome. Bye. All right, you take care. Goodbye. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. I'm not going to continue trying to respond to these repetitions of the falsehoods that have already been stated here. Read my lips. No new taxes. Our politics seems more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication. We choose truth over facts. Some of the most dishonest people in media are the so-called fact-checkers. We will keep this promise to the American people. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor, period. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan, period. Just totally distorting everything possible concerning the facts.